You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Welcome to Decidedly, where we're all about defeating bad decision-making. I'm Sanger Smith, and I'm here with my dad, Sean. Today, we're talking to our very good friend, Marcel LeBlanc. Marcel makes her living selling sex toys. Uh, It's not very often you get to hear from someone who sells sex toys for a living, but that's exactly what we're doing today. You know, Marcel is a very smart woman. She's the CEO and founder of a company called Velvet Box. Velvet Box is really innovative in the industry. What she's done is she's created an upscale, compassionate retail experience for consumers in North Texas, and it's, it's really changed the game. How did Marcel decide to pursue such a niche career, such an interesting career that comes with a lot of a lot of challenges, a lot of stigma, and not exactly something your high school counselor is going to guide you towards. She's got a lot of insight into decision-making, not only in her own story, but that of her customer. So we've got a lot of questions for her. I'm sure you do too. Without waiting any longer, let's get into it. So when you heard that this was a podcast about decision-making, what did you hope that we would talk about. I didn't hope for anything, actually. All of your hope is destroyed. <laughs> All of her hopes and dreams were destroyed. <laughs> she was hoping we'd cancel, is what she. <laughs> I was hoping that some of the things that you wouldn't ask me, you know, some of the more personal things, or maybe advice on your sex life and all the things that people normally. Ask. I think I know you too well to ask you about that. <laughs> I mean, some people would think that they. Knew me well enough. But you, do you get questions like that? Gosh, all the time I get questions. Like what? Okay. So what kind of questions do you get? For example, I was at a, a chamber meeting, a luncheon one day, and somebody, I'm sitting there at an eight top, and somebody comes over and leans over me, and I'm sitting down, and they're serving the salad, and they puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, hey, how are you? It's great to see you. Yep. Um, how do I get my wife to um, have anal sex? And Holy cow. Second question of the night. Right right out right over dinner. I'm like right right between salad and the main course. Well, and I'm like, he's still standing. I'm like, do you want me to say it right now? I'm like, there's lots of other people sitting. Like, I mean, you know. I mean just I, I, I love I love I love that question <laughs> because because it presumes that the answer is really easy and simple. You know, like hey, I mean, if you do the answer to that, well you could really go on the road. Really be Most people don't like the answer that I give them, and, and that's a common one, actually. And I said, you know, most men work out, and I'm like, well, it's going to take about as long as it takes. I said, imagine that I asked you to touch the floor with your hands right now. What would your hamstrings tell you? I said, that's probably what her ass is going to be telling you. <laughs> I said, so you're going to have to go that slow. <laughs> likes the answer so like, just it takes work you know <laughs> so what you get questions like that i would i would guess how do you deal with people sort of invading your because it, it's an invasion of your space and time right in, in other words and to to a far far lesser degree i feel that way sometimes when it's a it's a very nuanced answer if somebody comes to you know in a social setting and i'm it, it, talking about something unrelated and somebody says well you know Oh, what's the market going to do? Or what do you think about, 
you know, Airbnb stock? Yeah, or what's what stock, you, stock you know, right now? And I'm like, I, I'm not prepared to answer that question. And it's a long answer. And that, no one else at the table. Nobody else really wants to hear that, perhaps. But so I know how I deal with that as a financial advisor, getting questions sort of in those types of settings. How do you answer questions like that, that I, I would, it would seem like would be sort of an invasion of your private space? Um, sometimes I just don't answer the question at all, or I, I, I reply with a question and I just put it back on them. Um, you know, I think people are trying to connect in a really weird way because, you know, if they know you're a financial advisor, they're like, well, it'll probably make them feel good if I ask about stocks. Yeah, right. Maybe I, I think sometimes they're they're trying to connect in their own very awkward way. Yeah, I mean, do you ever refer people that will call me at the office or <laughs> meet me at the store? Or do, I mean, do you? Well, I have you know another question that um, people ask me is you know I, I want to buy something and what do I need to get for my wife? What what kind of sex toy do I I buy for my wife? And I'm like, well, one, have you gone to the website and have you talked to your wife? Right. Maybe what what does she say? Right. Yeah. You know, have you had a conversation with her? I, I get asked that maybe two or three times a week. What do, what do I buy? It, it, that seems like a more fair question than the first one. Um, not easier to answer. Not not easier necessarily, but I can, I can see how. I, I can't answer that for you. I mean, first, maybe go on the website and take a look around. I, I don't know. Um, so, it's happening similar to where, where should I be putting my money right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of question. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't, I know nothing about you. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. It's the same. And you know nothing about his wife. And so what, yeah, how can and I I'm answer like, that? Well, I can't, I won't answer that. I can't answer that. And I just refer them to go, you know, I make an appointment, come into the store, make an appointment with one of our associates. And they do can. you, do, do people make appointments? You can, if you want. Yeah. I mean, does that happen a lot? I mean, not a, not a lot, but I'll, I'll tell them to come in. But some people are really uncomfortable, and so they want to make sure that they have uh, a person there that is awaiting their arrival. Right. And they know, and they're not going to have to walk in all alone. And so... Stumble around while they're occupied with somebody else, or perhaps... Yeah. They're just assuming that they're going to get the typical retail experience. So, you know, I, I take their information, and I said, okay, you know, we'll be waiting for you, and... Whoever's working at that shift, you know, the, you know, make sure to that they have their name and a little bit of their information, and just make sure that it's kind of nice. I would imagine that said, "Oh yeah, we were expecting you," and you know, I know who you are. Yeah. I want to back up and have you tell a little bit about how you started in the in the business, just generally, and then sort of how that migrated to where you are now. But can can you go back and just talk about? how you started in the industry how, and how that brought you to sort of where you are now. I, I started by accident. Um, I was a horticulture major at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And, you know, I left home early and I was kind of just a kite in the wind. And so I picked horticulture. I'm like, flowers are pretty. Uh, let me go to school for that. That's and, a good enough reason. Yeah, flowers are pretty. I mean, that's a great way to figure out your career path. So uh, I went to school, and when I graduated, I did not like the work or the money, and so I was just kind of floundering around, and I'm a learner. So I started learning how to write HTML, and um, I put my resume out on Monster, and I had a website that contacted me that they needed a buyer for porn. The DVD, they sold porn DVDs, and so they, I went in for an interview, 
and um, it was my early 20s, and they offered me the job. I didn't know anything about porn, but clearly they thought I was qualified, and it was a 40% increase in salary. So, you know, you're in your 20s. All, all you care about is how much money you make so you can pay the bills and eat and pay rent. So I took the job, and uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do this job for as long as they, I can get away with it. You know, I, I started just approaching things methodically, going, well, I better figure out what's going on with porn. How do you learn about porn? So let me go and talk to the people who make porn and and uh, and, and how, how to pick porn and what's the best and trends and all these things. So I just started traveling and talking to manufacturers and getting to know them. And, and it's a very small uh, world. And so I was living, I was married at the time. And um, my husband actually... We were nine, on our nine-year anniversary. He uh, left me for his receptionist, and so I was found myself um, needing to resituate in life and figuring out how I'm going to pay all my bills and what am I going to do. And so I took a job with a manufacturer as a receptionist, which I grew very bored very quickly. And so I started looking around, going, you know, what, where can I help? Where can I, you know, do this? So I started putting box covers together. They used to shoot with chrome and, you know, so I would go back there and pick box covers and put those together. And then I was helping with production and post-production. And then, you know, just started kind of really chewing up all the work that could possibly be done and started working my way through most of the, the business. I was working with um, some of the, the directors and uh, the agents that brought in the girls and eventually over the years, I uh, did sales uh, of DVDs uh, for manufacturers. I did, um, I sold rights to countries, which was a lot of fun. You know, um, most of the porn was made there in the Valley. And so countries come and said, you know, I would like to buy the rights to this title and this kind of thing. And so, so what do you mean by countries would come and buy the rights? So like if you, you would, um, like France would want a title you know, whatever the title was that we made, and, and so so that they can replicate it and sell it in their country. So you would sell them the rights to a title. You would sell it to different countries. And so all these titles. Okay. And then uh, also... To, to private companies in those countries? Yes. Okay. And then, um, and then you know, hotels and things like that, all the pay-per-view, you know, mm, that yeah. kind of thing, TV. And this is all pre-internet or early internet days? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, sure that that changed a lot with the internet coming in? Yes and no. I mean, it didn't go away. Sure. It wasn't overnight. No, no. But, um, yeah, so, and and it, it, I was traveling, so I had a, I just, I love, love, love to travel. I will go absolutely anywhere. And so, when the first time that one of the companies said, we're going to need you to go to Berlin, and, you know, I'd never been out of the country before, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get a passport and get a stamp on it, and they're going to pay for it. And then that, that was it after that. I mean, I started traveling, and I had the book, and I'm, I was like, I'm never leaving this business. I started meeting lots of people all over the world. Uh, then eventually, uh, I took a job in sales for toys, a big toy manufacturer, and... And I, um, being an entrepreneur, I would realize in my personality, I, I'm not 
um, employable for very long. I get <laughs> bored and I don't take yeah, a direction. I, I find that as well. I, I'm, I'm a horrible employee. So, you know, I, I, I was a terrible employee. I mean, I got lots of work done, but I, I'm not terribly censored. So, um, you know, most people that own companies didn't like to know uh, uh, why they were doing things wrong. They, they don't want the feedback. <laughs> they don't, they, they don't they want my feedback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, found that, I found that to be true. Uh, so then I ended up uh, with a company that um, owned all the crystal stores here in Texas. And and, and, just, and Crystals is lingerie. They're, they're a dirty old bookstore, lingerie, sex toy store here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crystals was my only understanding of what a, a sex toy shop ever was until I met you. If you said, you said, okay, I own a sex toy shop. Uh, Crystals was all that I thought of. I think that's the fact for most of the country. Yeah. And so when I took that job, um, I didn't love it. I moved from Los Angeles to uh, to Texas, and that was a culture shock. And then um, working in stores that were not well-maintained and the employees weren't terribly cared for, and I didn't love that. And I don't know if a lot of people know, but in I moved here in 2007. In 2008, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned a law in the state of Texas that said sex toys were illegal. So before, we would have to put stickers on toys that said for cake decoration or cake or toppers. Novel, novelty use only or something. You know, yeah. Our advice okay. would come in. They would arrest clerks. Um, really? Yeah. So So up, up until 2007, you're saying it... I mean, these 2008. 2008, these stores were illegal. Yes. Okay. Yes. They're basically threading the line. Yeah, they were they were drawing the line, and you know, and, and not a whole lot of cake toppers have batteries. Yeah, it it it's the definition of obscenity, and there's a lot of gray area, and who's defining obscenity? Um, and and then there's uh obscene things in a store according to percentage of square footage and. It just, it's a mess. Wait, ex- explain that. You mean, as opposed to how much can be lingerie or yeah. how much can be... Or obscene items. Okay, so what? tell me what an obscene item is. I mean, I don't find many things at all to be obscene, so... Well, okay. Well, not by your definition, but by... Well, there is no definition. That's, that's, the, that's the crazy I, thing I, about the law. It's, I may be misquoting this, but I think you know, there was some famous porn case with the Supreme Court where Scalia defined um, porn to be obscene imagery with no artistic value or something, something like that. Right. The, the part of it that was interesting was the no artistic value part. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you are completely removed from the world, you could look at that and think, okay, yeah, that's fine, because I obviously hate this. There's no artistic value at all. It's, but it's there's artistic value in any holder, I guess. Well, I mean, what, what was that uh, just a couple of years ago? The Modern Art Museum had that um, really famous <clears throat> install, and mm-hmm. there was, I'm you remember the lady that was lactating, and she was jumping rope? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the, the guy was ejaculating. I mean, these were life-size things, and, and it was a lasso, I'm like, if I would have had that in my store, that would have been considered obscene. If it's in a museum, there's artistic value. This is at the Modern Art Museum, which is one of my favorite places to go. The, the not, not for that reason, but <laughs> I go there a lot. I mean, we're we're on the council and we we go there frequently. But the the depiction, I think, had a lot of artistic value. And so when we talk about pornography, 
I, I guess, as you're saying, Sanger, that, that if there's not that. Well, but, but the, I'm saying that that's what the Supreme Court said. I'm not necessarily agreeing. How is that clear? It's not exactly. smart. It's not specific, measurable. Exactly. Right. You know, I mean, it's you know, like, when you see it kind of definition, what is artistic value in the first place? Yeah. If, if you saw what you saw outside of the context of an art museum, I highly doubt that you'd think it had a whole lot of artistic value. Right. Right. But you had the benefit of having the docent explain to you. They basically told you it had artistic value. Right. Yeah, I, I really love the modern art museum. Yeah. So did you did you get any pushback after the law was changed in two thousand eight at the places you were working? How how did the legal community treat the stores then? Well, when that happened, I didn't stay very long because I didn't love my job, and one of the first things that I saw was that. Who is catering to people on an educate? There was a whole segment of the population that was not being catered to here. They're not. They're you know they're buying stuff online. What, what segment of the population? All the people that are too afraid to go into a crystals. You know mm. who are those people? There's lots of people that were just ultra conservative yeah. people that were not getting their needs met. You know um, at that time you could buy um, stuff at Brookstone in the mall. Um, grocery stores had lubricant. Walgreens sold sex toys. Brookstone sold sex toys. Um, Walgreens sold sex toys? Walgreens sells sex toys. Walmart does now. Target does. You can buy sex toys online at Target. Um, maybe I'd, uh, maybe what, I'd what uh, explain of, that. Uh, I, I... Vibrators. You can buy vibrators. Uh, you know, but, but they, were, they, were not, they weren't great ones. And who's answering questions? Like, who, who's going to, you're going to stop the kids stocking shelves? I can't imagine that you they know? sold a whole lot of those. Yeah, I mean, probably not. Well, I mean, okay, imagine you're so walking the aisles of Target. Are those the type I, of vibrators that are, that are advertised with, you know, the, the, the man's like holding it on his shoulder for a short, it, it, like they're masked as something else. They're not, they're not promoted as a sex no they're marketed towards women in a very very delicate way i think um but um what makes them not good you, you i mean you said no they're well, not good just, just quality of product i mean there's there's so much stuff on the market now with technology there's some amazing stuff but if you're not going to talk to a person about a vibrator and sell you you know and and, and explain to them all the features and the benefits of it then they're not going to probably spend Two hundred and fifty dollars on the best vibrator that the market has to offer. I think, so I think it'd be have... hard, even if they knew they wanted one, to go in and buy one. Uh, I mean, you're you're buying it at a where the lady behind you in checking in the checkout line is getting her groceries, Probably. and the the lady in front of you has her six year old son. So I mean, when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, they had some you know BDSM stuff in their stores. Walmart did. Uh, Target did. Oh, Target did. So, it's not. It's really not shocking that this is a surprise to us. It, well, it's not. It, but it, it, <laughs> we are. We are. Yeah, we are baffled by it. We, we are amazed. I'm an outsider in the sex toy world and the Target world. Yeah, I haven't been in a Target. Spencer's in the mall has a full. Okay, there you go. There, that would be the what, what in the mall. Spencer's in the Oh, Spencer's. Okay. Spencer's is a, they private label some of their own. Spencer's is probably the only thing I can think of other than crystals, but Spencer's almost seems like a uh, a gag gift. It's like a gimmicky. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to Spencer's. Toys in the mall. They they have yeah their own private label stuff, but it's you know they're big. It's they have a lot of volume. They're kind of hidden, but where are people going like you know to ask questions? You were working at Crystals. The law changed. How 
how did you decide to move out of that career and, and start Velvet Box once you identified this gap in the market? I had a little notebook that I had been keeping and just going, you know, this is what I think the ideal store would be. I, you know, if I, if I were to change something, this is what I would change. And, and so um, my current business partner now that I've known for about 25 years, uh, he used to be a customer of mine when I, I sold video. And he was the only person I, I knew when I moved here to Texas. And so I called him and said, hey, I you know, live in Texas. And we were talking. And, and um, I told him about my idea. And, um, and I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to stay here. I just, you know, I don't have really much keeping me here. Um, but I think this would be a great idea. And I think it kind of intrigued him. And since he comes from a completely different type of business, you know, he's adult mega stores, not that there's anything wrong with those stores, but he filled a niche and, you know, um, that, that was needed. And we don't need any more of those right now. And I don't think they're giving licenses for those anymore. But I, I'm like, I, I really kind of, I'm passionate about this. And, and so um, he says, why, why don't you do it? And he believed in me, and um, well, I don't have the money, and so he said, "Well, I'll, I'll help you out." And, and it's been eleven, twelve years now, and it's been a great partnership. And was was there a time when you when you just decided, "Okay, I'm I'm here at this job. I like the industry. I don't I don't like this company how it's run. I think I can do it better." And you said. I'm gonna I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna go start this. And Sanger and I were talking about this the other day, and I've had that feeling when I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to hike the PCT. I'm going to hike the Camino. Uh, Sanger's doing a triathlon. He says, you know, there was this definite feeling that came over you. You were telling me, you said, okay, when I decided to do the triathlon, I haven't even done it yet. But you felt different. Oh, the moment I decided. The moment you decided to do I something. I immediately. When I started working for the Crystal Stores, within a couple of months, I'm like, I could absolutely, like the vision was in my head. I absolutely can do this. The missing piece was, was finance. the confidence in the finance. Yeah. And I never when, had when anybody said, you know, that, when, that believed in me. When you decided it became real. Yeah. Did you feel something when that happened? I knew. I'm like, this is, this is like taking candy from a baby. Anybody can do better than this. Literally anybody can do better than this. So what did you decide you were going to change and do differently that you felt like was going to be a, a massive improvement over how it was being done or how you saw it in the industry? Because I, I, I'm thinking that the place you were working was not far different from other places like that. Well, specifically, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody um, and I haven't worked with a lot of, or a lot of other retailers, but specifically working for Crystals and, and, um, and Ross that owned them at the time, um, you know, it's just improving the facilities. You know, it was raining in the stores. It was, the parking lots had giant potholes in them. The people were paid minimum wage. There was literally a store that I went to in Memphis where I, when I walked in, the gates, the security gates were broken and falling over, oh, uh, you know, and no one had fixed them because they had gotten robbed. Another store that I had gone to uh, in Memphis, when I came in, the, 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 the front rug at the door was askew. So I went and to bend over and straighten it. And the lady says, please don't do that. 
someone was bludgeoned and it hides the blood stain. Now we're talking about like the 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 the, the carpet was like indoor outdoor carpet and like anybody who can't improve on that much less I mean, it, it was just it was it was a no-brainer i mean it really it wasn't i mean like so he's making money practically hand over fist with the margins we we, we made good margins but you know stop the raining uh change the bloody carpet you know make clean it an things inviting up. place i mean just you know and then i mean it was just easy it was just yeah. easy you know clean the stores up merchandise it and then you know so t- tell me about the merchandise well, for for us, uh, you know, for the, those stores, just even organizing them and putting them in in proper order. But I went even one step further than that. We we call it trauma informed, but the way Velvet Box is laid out is that people who are super nervous or have never gone into an adult store before come in, and as you go through the store, it gets a little bit more adventurous. So some some of the stores you go in and there'd be a, a giant life size masturbator two feet inside the door. That's so, got to be off putting to well, yeah. even people. Imagine that are, your mother going yeah. inside the you know, uh, or you know your wife or anybody going inside and seeing that they're going to want to boomerang outside you know. Sure. Go. So you know how about clothing? Lingerie is not going to scare people. Yeah. And then they come inside you know a little bit further. And then books. Books are not scary. A lot of the books that we sold were also in Barnes and Noble. Um, and then lubricants, you know, and, and personal uh, massage oils and things like that. And so you put that in a really nice, pretty case. And where you know you're halfway through the store and you haven't in, haven't seen anything that's terrifying. And we don't put any nudity in the store. We don't have um, any DVDs or anything like that. So uh, I mean, I just what. The was phrase it, trauma, you used a phrase called trauma informed. Is that something that you came up with or is that something? No, it's what our, it's, um, our therapist is, is what uses that. And so it's, it's getting people to come inside and, and see things that are not triggering or scary. You know, I mean, every, I, I think there's a lot of people that have been through some, a lot of women that have been through some trauma at some level or some sure. point. And so what, you know, what's, what might trigger someone yeah, yeah. so you you know a, a giant phallic shape of some sort might be very triggering and so i think easing people in and just creating you know men will go anywhere i mean you could put all the stuff you know they'll, they'll go just about the, they're they're brave and they'll go right to the store right wherever they need to go inside the store to get what they need but women i think are a little bit different not to say move slower all men sure. are like that but you know are the majority of your customers women or is it kind of 50, 50. really are the men tell me about the the men that are coming most of these are buying gifts for their partner I'm i assuming. think all of our customers are about the same they're in a relationship and they want to connect and feel better and be closer to their their partner i think that's that's pretty much across the board men and women and so they're looking for something to spice things up they want to do something different they don't know where to start, where else, you know, so they're they're just stabbing in the dark and trying to figure out what they're going to do. And so we encourage people to come in and preferably with their partner so that you can start a conversation and together rather than um, just grabbing a bunch of stuff and taking it home. You were you were kind enough a couple of weeks ago to take me on a tour 
uh, of your store. And it, it, it exactly as you described it, it very soft and welcoming up front. There's a crystal chandelier. It's very pretty, very nice. And, and sort of moves you through, moves you sort of back through different stages of, of, uh, the, the product. You had mentioned that you don't have any nudity and, and there wasn't, I would think that that would be difficult to source in, in the industry because a lot, it, it would seem like a lot of packaging would have that. Did you struggle with that as you were? In the beginning, a little bit we did, but one of the reasons why, um, we were confident enough to, to, to do what we did was that there was a shift in manufacturing. We have uh, Susan Colvin, who owns Cal Exotic, uh, is a woman that was starting to create softer packaging, prettier things, and more people were um, following in, in her footsteps. And Lilo had some, you know, nondescript, beautiful packaging. And so I'm like, we, we can totally do this. You know, there was a company called Jimmy Jane that was... Uh, doing beautiful, beautiful items. Um, so they had come a really long way from the first vibrating banana and the really hardcore stuff. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely believe that we we could do that. And then now there's been a shift in the market where everyone is going for the quote unquote boutique. So what what is what do you think is the biggest decision that you had to make? within Velvet Box that you could attribute to the success of your company? Commit to our people. I mean, you can put a chandelier or you can put 10 chandeliers in a store. You can put all the beautiful fixtures in there, but the Velvet Box is not Velvet Box without the people that work for us and our, our training program. And, and they go through it and embrace our culture. But what makes us a success is the, the people. How do you how do you take care of them? I feel like I care for them. I, I I want a person that works for Velvet Box to be a better person if they if they've left us. Whether they they're more educated, um, they feel better about themselves. They've learned something. They've grown. I think I'm a big advocate for growing personally. Working for us, if you're on our executive team um, every year, they, you know. They get more books for Christmas, and that's not a surprise. And we read lots of books, and some of them are self-help books, and we discuss it and, and have a passion for leadership and teaching them how to lead their people in their stores. And so I think that taking care of people is teaching them how to take care of themselves, whether it's financial coaching. You know, there's a lot of people that haven't that haven't had the uh, education at home on how to balance their checkbooks or credit or how do you buy a car, all those things. I mean, I think all of that's really important. So you, you've done some things differently and that, and that's what I'm, what I'm curious about is you decided to take a, a format and set up your store very differently than what I guess was working in the industry. You decided to change the product mix from what the industry was doing uh, that's working. You decided to, uh, I think, train your staff differently than what you had seen. You, you were, you've talked to me before about um, not allowing your employees to ask closed-in questions. So how did you decide to do that and, and kind of walk me through uh, 
how that might look for a uh, for somebody that comes in the store. How how do, how would that interaction go? I'm a big experience person, so I love going to restaurants or shopping, and I love when people make me feel good. You know, you go into a restaurant and they're like, "Welcome back," and they made the effort to look at your name and. Just that whole experiential thing is was huge for me. So how could I curate the experience for the customer in an adult store? It, and so that's how I kind of based my training. And so we we curate all of the training, and the the experience is not by accident. You know, from you know telling people how they need to greet people. And when when they walk in, not everybody has these skills. I, I I'm very confident that when you're done with sales skills, you can go on to sell Rolexes or Rolls Royces. I mean, you you could use these type of skills mm-hmm. uh, in just about any type of high end luxury sales anywhere, absolutely anywhere. But you know, we talk about how to um, address a customer. You know what they need to be wearing, dress code, why we do all these things, and and um, the type of verbiage we use, uh, we we don't use any you know profanity. We try you know be natural about it, but we we don't you, you know we make sure that we're professional at the same time and and all of that stuff. You can't just tell somebody. Most of our people are very young that work for us to say be professional. What what does that mean? So um, for us, we we spell that out. What what is what is being dressed professionally look like? And that's all spelled out and how, what does behavior look like, even down to answering the phone. We answer a phone with a certain greeting, but we also have to be smiling because people hear when your lips are curled and your face is different, then there's something different on the phone um, that people hear. So just the whole thing. I mean, I, I just think I want people to feel good. It's not about what you say to people, but it's about how you make them feel. And if they feel good, then they're going to come back. How conscious was that decision to focus on the experience? Very, very conscious because no one else was doing it. Yeah. No one else was doing it. Most yeah. most stores that you go into, even regular retail. Um, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, that's not that's not really unique to your industry that no one was doing that. I mean, the entire economy has moved towards an, an experience economy mm-hmm. within the last 10 years. Well, it, it, you know, like Lululemon does an amazing job. You go in and people are talking to you and you're not going to wander around a Lululemon store for 40 minutes without anybody yeah. doing that. And then, you know, in University Center, you can go across to Athleta and I've been in there for, and there's seven people working in there and two customers. And I literally don't even have somebody say hi to me. Yeah. And, you know, this I think retail retailers have opportunity out the wazoo. Uh, yesterday, we I have I'm doing a bathroom remodel, and so the guy that's um, helping me with design says, you know, you should go to this place and take a look around. It wasn't far from the office, so I go to the and I walk in there, and I ask the lady a question. She's like, you know, it's like she didn't even stand up. She just points and it's like it's somewhere over there, and so I go over there and then I don't find it. And there's another lady and I ask her a question and she doesn't stand up and. Like, I don't get any, I mean, it was a terrible experience. And so I'm like, why was I sent here? So I called him and I said, are you committed to shopping here? I said, because, you know, I've been shopping at Impressions off of Brian Irvin. And I said, 
you know, there was a guy there that was super nice. And then he emailed me and said, thank you. And sent me some links. And I'm like, he just made me feel good. And so can we, can we shop there? He's like, yeah, we can. I'm like, I just, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to spend my money at a place where people can't even stand up. You know, I mean, it's not like they had lots of people, but I, I was like, she's like, let us know if you need any help. And I'm like, well, I thought I just asked for help. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't what know I what did. else I you clearly need. do. I'm wandering around I here. I mean, I'm like, I asked specifically for help and like, do you need a smoke signal or what? I mean, like. So that's a good example of a, of a closed question. You know, let us know if you need any help. And you know, nine times out of 10, I, I'm always going to say no. And I, I, I don't want your help. I don't want to bug you it's or set just up for me to say no. It's set up for you to say yeah. no. Can right. I help you? Right. I mean, no, I mean, no, especially no, coming no, into yeah. an adult store. How can I like help no. you? What can I help you with? You know, and, and you know, it's funny is that people are so conditioned to answer that question that sometimes um, customers will come in the store and you're like, how's your day going today? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because we are focusing on decision-making in, in this discussion, what has been the toughest decision you've had to make in in your business career with the with the store or have there or have they all been smooth sailing i think one of the toughest decisions we've had to make was during covid to trust our coaches when we had to furlough everyone um and putting our trust in people that they've already been through mm. some type of situation like this maybe not covid but company type situations when things are you know how, how to land this plane and i've never flown a plane and you know i don't know how well you fly a plane but you said you've flown a lot of planes and i see a lot of planes and uh but that was that was tough it's putting my faith in people to help us navigate this whole COVID thing i think everything else i don't think anything about this. I think that was the hardest thing that we've ever had to do was make the decisions we had to make to be able to continue to stay viable as a company and still have money and a company coming out on the other side. You know, during whenever we closed was May, it was probably one of the scariest times in mm -hmm. in all yeah. of our business. And that, you guys closed up for a bit. Yeah, we closed for, for four weeks. Yeah. So that, that was terrifying. I think everything else... Um, you know, I'm a learner and I'm a big believer that uh, if you're going to pay people to help you, you need to take their advice and, and do what you're told, you know, or, or, or there's just no point in, in, in you don't have the right people in the right place if, if you're not, you get consultants that you're not listening to. Yeah. That, how, so you guys were closed for four weeks mm -hmm. and, and some of that, I, I'm assuming that that kind of was in line with Tarrant County shutting down um the day retail stores were allowed to reopen were you guys open absolutely yeah we were open that was how easy of a decision was that very easy i mean we had all the protocols into place yeah. uh, it's easily it's easy to social distance we have masks yeah. you know we provided hand sanitizer um we i put installed <clears throat> stuff into our hvac hvac systems that um circulate the air and does all this technical stuff that hospitals use to help kill virus. I mean, it, it was super easy. I mean, we, we put all the, everything that we could possibly do into place to keep our people safe without just, you know, going into the fetal position and sure. giving up and losing our business. I mean, 
there's at some point in time you have to so continue. when the when the shutdown started how long did it take before you started to game plan all of the reopening strategy we were game planning before we even closed what they yeah. looked like i mean we we were in thankfully such a good position like the second uh, we were working really hard to set up curbside and mm -hmm. we were building another website we built two websites in the course of like maybe two two weeks yeah and you know our, our um, coach said it's absolutely going to happen so we we started planning and then there was a moment where you know, on the news, they were saying, you know, it's going to be really, really bad. Then people just stopped coming out. They just did. Our sales dried up. And then the next day, Parent County said, you know, we're closing. Yeah. And then we just flipped the switch and we're like, we're ready. And we closed up and then we started curbside and we had a plan for that. And then um, we furloughed all of our hourly people. We kept our executive team and all of our salary people. And we worked our butts off during the closure. Uh, planning, getting things ready, all the things that, you know, you're supposed to be doing that you never have time to do, they were going to get done on top of preparing to reopen again and what does the, the new normal look like. Now you, you mentioned trust your coach. I asked you, you know, what do you have to decide? You were saying trust your coach, but there are so many business owners who go it alone. And I would think somebody, you know, you, you're saying, I'm a learner. You You consume a lot of content around business ownership and excellence and those types of things. How did you decide that you wanted to outsource some of that or hire some of that coaching? That, that had to be, a, was that a tough decision for you? Uh, no, because I learned so much. I mean, I just love to learn. I mean, it's one of my core values is learning and travel. So, I mean, I, I'm getting a, paying for a coach was scary, but then I started to see the value, you know, um, if you don't pay, you don't pay attention is my favorite thing to say. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, back to COVID, I mean, I mean, there was no way that I was going to let a virus uh, put us out of business. I mean, we we, right. we went through too much to get to where we were. I mean, we had our um, our executive assistant. There was no hand sanitizer to be had, so she was making it. I mean, she would, you know, you wow. can make it with Barbasol. So she was driving to all these places and buying, you know, Barbasol. And then she's these big vats of hand sanitizer and then. She's like, well, let me make it pretty and drop some pink stuff in here and we'll have pink hand sanitizer. So at least it's nice. And then well, we might as well scent it while we're doing it, you know? And so she was- She's got her own business sanitizer. going now. <laughs> you better watch it's out. Um, or they were gouging you for hand sanitizer. I mean, like we right. just, yeah. you know, we, just, we're, we're, we weren't gonna let it keep us closed. Yeah. No choice. How, how are you guys doing now? I think we're we're blessed. I, uh, I I'm hoping that we're going to come skidding into the end of the year flat. Yeah. So I think flat is up. You know, <laughs> it's a win. Closed, it, it, in some years, flat is good, right? Yeah, this yeah, is one of them. Well, you lost a month. Yeah, we lost a month at, at minimum. I mean, I, I think you mm -hmm. you when you really reflect on it, yeah. Um, yeah. even though you're able to open in May, that doesn't count. June barely counts. Yeah. people weren't even going outside. Until is there a September. is there a busiest time of year for you? Christmas and Valentine's Day. So you guys were closed during Valentine's Day. No, no. we were open. You were open during Valentine's Day. Okay, so we you, so you still got to. Yeah, we got to Valentine's Day, and then that. we closed in May. So if, if, I think okay. it was May that we closed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you you sort of had the decision imposed on you. I mean, the county basically said, 
yeah, you didn't, you didn't have to I decide. I didn't believe it at first because you know my executive coach is from Chicago, and so they 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 shut down. He's like, I'm telling you, it's going to happen, and and we're pretty insulated here in Texas. I mean, we're kind of going about our business. You know, we just have the NFR and the you mm-hmm. know the, all kinds of things are going on. I mean, you can go and dine in, and he's like, oh, no, I'm telling you, it is. It, they will lock. We're going to go in lockdown, and we're like, that's crazy. I'm like, who can? That's that's in, and I'm like I can't even fathom that. How can people tell you to close your business? So what did you decide to do based on that information that your coach said? Hey, it's 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 going to happen. What did you decide to do differently? I mean, you you had the shutdown, which was imposed, mm-hmm. but was there anything from a business standpoint that you decided you had to do based on that and sort of impending curbside? I mean, like I saw the restaurants doing it. I'm like, how do we do okay. it? We got to figure out how to do it. You know, let's get online and get one of these sites that we can put some of our inventory up in a couple of the stores and start selling curbside. And it supported all of our executive team. So we were able to pay salaries until the PPP loan came in. Um, but yeah, I mean, people were shopping online and, and then they'd drive up and we'd run out with a mask and put it in the trunk of their car. Did, did other stores just close completely? Yes. But you guys did curbside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The minute we closed the, the very next day, um, apparently we weren't even supposed to be doing curbside, but I didn't realize it, you know, um, we just Good did for it, y'all. you know, yeah. we just did it. Good like, for oh, y'all. I mean, how, how can we not do, I mean, like, how is this not a safe thing? Right. You know, I can get my tacos, I can get my dildos. Yeah. I, it does not matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so silly. Yeah. You ought to have a t-shirt that says that. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> they go hand in hand. Yes. Jeez. All right. That's a that's a good place to, to wrap it up. That's a good place to wrap it up. So, Marcel, thank you so much for doing this. I I enjoy talking with you every time I talk with you, and uh, and this was no different. So thank you for uh, for doing this and having fun thank with you. us. I had a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly, where we are all about defeating bad decision-making. We covered the decisions that Marcel had to make in entering the sex toy business and how she did that and the decisions along the way. It's it's a fascinating discussion that, that most of us don't get to have in our, in our normal conversation. If you enjoyed the conversation, do me a huge favor. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help folks like you find us and join the community. If you didn't like the show, I hope your batteries run out at the worst possible time. Also, I hope you'll join us online. Go to decidedlymoney.com for show notes and other resources. And also follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we're most active. Thanks for listening. Listen to us next time. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.